I wish I could say it took me longer to find this. But I follow the directions, I guess, that they give walkers of a bike trail, which is to go counterclockwise, so against the traffic of the bikes so that they can see you coming and you can see them. And I guess you made it pretty close to the end of the first trail I tried. Which is funny, because I almost went the wrong way and picked a different trail. I wish it did take me longer to find this. Because I don't know what to say. I bet you never thought I'd be here. But it's a pretty place to die. Hi, I'm Sam Sabin, and this is Good Grief, a show about reconnecting with the past and my attempts to make up for lost time. If this is your first time tuning in, please stop and start at episode one. It's really, 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 really important this time. This is episode 8, Father's Day. And on a rather important note, this is the final episode of the season. And before we dive back into the episode, I want to take a minute to thank everyone. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, to those who stuck with me from the beginning to this end, and to those who helped me get here, thank you. Now. Let's dive back in. It's around Father's Day when I go home to Charlotte, North Carolina, for the first time in six months. Sitting at home, the thought I've only had a handful of times before comes back to me. What if I go there? What if I do it? Sitting at home one Saturday afternoon, I get bored. And I do it. I dig through his family's Facebook profiles and I find that one video. It's the video with the caption that reads, this is the trail that Bob Sabin did not get to finish a year ago today. And today, we all got to finish it for him. See, for those who don't remember, Bob Sabin, or you know, my strange biological father, died after a heart attack while mountain biking with some friends in January 2015. They were walking that trail where he died. And watching that video, that's when I decided that I was ready to drive out there and also finish that same trail. It's funny. Nature's weird. Because it's been about two and a half years. And I bet you this trail has always looked like this. Not even death can change it. It's a really flat trail. 
like really effing flat like I didn't really break a sweat walking here except for the fact that it's like 90 degrees out so like I'm naturally sweating and overheating but I'm imagining you were rounding this bend and I can't see you going that fast you know like all the bikers I've seen so far who have come down this trail have not been going that fast they've just been like biking around So I would imagine you were rounding this bend here. So. Yeah, I would imagine you were rounding the bend when that heart attack started. And there's a tree branch here or trunk or whatever. It's like coming out of the ground. And chances are you couldn't swerve to miss it. Because maybe you would have had a fighting chance if you had been able to swerve to the right here. Where there's not really anything sharp to, like, fall on. You would have just landed in these this dead pile of leaves. And maybe your friends would have found you and been able to carry you to an ambulance and you would have been okay. But instead, you most likely hit this with your front wheel. And went flying forward into this tree. This really mighty tree that has a plaque with your name on it now. Yeah, two and a half years later, it looks the same. This is what I was expecting. I didn't expect to be like, oh, and then there's some head blood there, etc. No, this is just a tree. Less, it's just a tree, less than a mile away from the main road. Like, I can still see the road with the cars driving back and forth on it. The same road I'm going to drive back on in, like, the next ten minutes. I wish it had taken me longer to find this, because I still don't know what to say. I'd like to say that when my father passed away in January 2015, life carried on as usual. That I kept going to that weird Yugoslavian politics class that I thought I'd really like and didn't end up in my professor's office in the third week of classes crying about a death I didn't want to care about. That I kept submitting stories for my beat at the college newspaper instead of disappearing for months at a time and hoping my editors didn't notice. That I handled a breakup that came literally 10 days after my father died with a clear and rational mind. And that it didn't end with me drinking too much wine and yelling at my ex in public way too often. I'd like to say I had a clear head through it all, but that's not how grief works. The anger I felt when I saw my father again when I was 10 years old. The anger I felt when I realized that I would never, and I mean never, 
get to confront my father in person. The anger I felt when I talked to my mom about her pain, her frustrations, her journey, it's all there, all the time. As I work on this emotionally exhausting project, I have reminders everywhere. On a whiteboard, on a fitness app, on an online dating profile, I rarely check or edit. I have reminders that I run, that I need to meditate, that I write, all in an effort to tame my anxiety, to tame my grief, to tame that ruminating mind. In big red letters on that same whiteboard, I have an even more important reminder. Be kind to yourself. Each time I'm here, typing a script, I relive the same anger. What kind of father has the audacity to pick one family over the other? Did he even love us? Why did he leave? And never look back. Those frustrations only build as I build up the courage to reach out to family members and hear nothing. I've heard nothing from his wife, who I wrote a letter to in episode seven. I've heard nothing from his adopted sister, Pamela, who I wrote a letter to in episode two. I've heard very little from his sons, who I met in episode five. But to be fair, I haven't asked much of them anyway. My anger builds each time. And I almost break my keyboard each time I go to write a script. At least, you know, it wasn't like one of these dainty little stick trees that took you down. The short ones that I'm even taller than, and I'm like an average height person. You know, this tree, this tree's strong. <laughs> this tree is extending all the way to the top of the preserve, where all the other trees are extending to. I couldn't even climb this tree if I wanted. Like, there's no branch I can grip onto. It's just a solid tree trunk. It's a good 20 feet. No, 30 feet. Where's that shit extend to? I don't know. We're going to say 30 feet up in the air. It's just this mighty tree. Has this little dainty plaque on it. That says, where there's a hill, there's a way. Bob Sabin, February 8th, 1959 to January 10th, 2015. Beloved husband, father, and friend with no comma. There should be a comma after husband, I'm just saying. Keep pedaling, keep smiling. And then a cartoon figure, but it's like if you had a traffic street sign of someone biking. It's like that symbol that is on here, on the left. And two mountains in the back, so you know he's mountain biking. And it's really secure on there. Like I can't, 
pull it off even if I wanted to, which I guess is the point for a memorial plaque that was put on a year after you died. I mean, you've seen pictures of him, right? I feel like he, he Dylan was, looks more like that. I think I do. you look more. I think you do. Really? Yeah, I do. Interesting. Yeah, I do. I feel like I, I look s- like mom. No, I don't see. I don't see you looking like your mom at all. Hmm. It's the pieces of my father that live in me that leave me the most upset. It's not that I don't like myself. I made an entire podcast about me and my story. I clearly have an ego. It's. It's that I struggle to cope with the parts of myself that I'm noticing as his. Even parts my mom didn't even realize could be his. Also, do you know for certain if um, my biological father is an alcoholic? Oh, hell yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Great. Mm -hmm. And no one told me this? (laughs) Um, So maybe he was recovered? I don't know, but... When I knew him, he drank every day. Cool. We'll just be Never careful with that. Never any hard liquor. Right. Yep. Not like vodka. Just beer. We talked about this in therapy, so it's on my radar. <laughs> because alcohol Why is though? a... It's genetic. Oh. It's when I read about how he was involved in local government, and I think about my political science degree and journalism background. It's when I think about how he ran track in college and I run now. It's when I think about how his eyes move like mine in photos, when I get upset all over again. How can I have been two years, and still I feel like I've made no progress? How can I not fully understand how he walked away, how he walked away and never looked back? So, I guess when you can't get the answers to your questions about fatherhood from the source, you should go to the next best thing. Or the actual best thing. You can go ahead and, and give me like uh, a minute and a half here because we're getting ready to pull in line. I'll place the order for the McDonald's and then we can start this little party. This is my dad. My actual dad my stepdad. And before we go back to it, I feel like I should warn you guys. We recorded this via phone call. I'm at home and my cat was in one of those moods where he just had to run around, had to make noise. And my dad was clearly hungry and was on his way home from McDonald's. It was clearly a great time to talk about the meaning of fatherhood. Yeah, I just wanted you to tell me what it means for you to be a father. What it means for mm-hmm. me to be a father. Um, I babysat somebody when I was eight years old. My my mom actually babysat, but I was the one who was hired to be the babysitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a little young lady that lived right down the street, and I just fell absolutely in love because she just hung on my every move. And it was from that point on I told my mom that I wanted to have a daughter when I grew up. So it was, I mean, 
lot of love and joy. But, but why? <laughs> like, why um, is it everything? I guess it's kind of hard to explain because it, it just it just is. I mean, I um, I, I did it with did it with Taylor, and I I, well, I did it with all the kids. You know, there were just certain times you wake up and you're like, I I have to do this for them, and there's no real answer why. It was just I have to. Like it's and, a purpose. Um. Yeah. You can. You can define it as that. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what, like, you think a father's role is in bringing up kids and instilling those lessons and that influence. Like, I'm wondering what that role looks like for you. I guess the the best way to explain that would be is. You know, to try to teach your kids the difference between right and wrong. Not maybe so much my beliefs, but, you know, because of my upbringing, but be there for when your kids need you um, and try to be there even when they don't or they don't think they need you. Um, and that's just really the, the down and dirty, you know. So I want to be clear. I wasn't missing a quote-unquote father figure from my life. That's not why I went searching and digging around. My mom got married when I was 10 to a man who I've known since I was around seven or eight. Listening back, it's clear my father, my actual dad, thought a lot about what his role as a father means to him and to his children. And I I don't know if I could say the same thing about my biological father. Even after two years of digging and thinking about him. But I guess I came out here. just to tell you how angry I still am. You know, I don't, I don't really care how you died or like what age you died. You know, I guess like accidents happen. We're all gonna die anyway. So the fact that you're dead doesn't really purely upset me because I didn't know you. What upsets me is that I couldn't yell at you in person, in the flesh, for all the pain you have caused so many fucking people in my life. And I couldn't just ask you why, why you did it, how you lived with yourself. And it wasn't, it wasn't like my mom gave birth and you're like, oh, oh, this is a lot more work than I intended. And you walked out. You waited five years. Then you walked out.
I'll never get the straight answer I want. Sam, I left because I didn't love you as much. Sam, I left because it wasn't fair to you all to have me around. Sam, I left and I don't care why I did it. I just did. I will never get that. Just every time I ask my mom about you, she's angry. Sometimes she's getting better at muffling that anger. She's getting way better at it. But sometimes she just lets it go. You like start in a very diplomatic way. You know, we're just all different. You know, he had his own problems, he left. It is what it is, Samantha. And eventually she starts picking out the wound and she picks at it long enough where the scab comes off and she just bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. And it's yelling. So much fucking yelling. And it's directed at you. She'll never come out here and talk to you about that. But she is pissed. But at the same time, I don't think she'd have it any other way. Dylan doesn't give a shit. (laughs) Which is actually pretty noble of him. He really purely does not care. I can question him over and over and over again. He does not break. Like, nothing happens. I don't really know what else to say to you. Me, I'm just angry. Not really angry you're my father. I'm angry that my father hurt people so much, so badly. And I'm angry that you died before I got a chance to tell you that. For the past year or so, I've been digging. As you can imagine, I'm a reporter, so I'm very good at it been interviewing people, meeting people, talking to people, reading about you, googling you, researching you, trying to understand who the fuck you were and how you were able to live this double life and live with yourself. And also to learn more about like how I can make sure that I'm not the same person. And honestly, I have shit. So now I'm just angry. I drove out here to make sure you know that. I'm angry. And you can apologize all you want. You be remorseful. I'm angry. And I came out here to say how angry I am. And also to tell you this is a really pretty place to die. And what sucks is none of you can ask him yeah. who, why and who and what. Yeah. Which is like, it's all on him mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point, which is just like, not fair. <laughs> um. no. Here's what my father did give me. 
He gave me a strong mom. He gave me a little brother who I protected each day of our childhood. He gave my mom a chance to meet my dad, or technically my stepdad. He gave my mom the chance to have another kid with a decent man. He gave me the strength to fight. And he also gave me some deeply ingrained trust issues. But he gave me a chance to learn to fend for myself. He showed me, in this post-mortem quest of mine, that there's no use in trying to get answers from the dead. At least, not answers to questions they avoided while alive. This whole time, over the past two or so years, I've been searching for something I'll never find. And honestly, I'm finally okay with that. Good Grief is an independent production by me, Sam Sabin. Editing help for this entire season came from Lydia Thompson, Rachel Wolf, and the Center for Documentary Studies Audio Institute. Theme music by Indian Wells. Other music in this episode by Poddington Bear. This podcast was funded partially by the UNC Creative Writing Program and the Bolch family, and words cannot describe how thankful I am to that grant. Special thanks, always and forever, to my family for letting me record them, my friends for putting up with my anxieties and being my greatest editors, and to you, the listeners, for sticking with me through this wild and crazy ride. If you enjoyed listening, please stay subscribed (laughs) or write a review. Or maybe just share the entire first season with a friend. You can find Good Grief on Apple Podcasts and, frankly, wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm still playing with some ideas for the second season, but be on the lookout for a call for stories. If you know anyone with an extraordinary story about grief, I want to hear from them. During the break, please, again, stay subscribed to be among the first to hear some season one extras and updates on where season two is heading. You can also stay up to date at goodgriefpodcast.com or on the show's Facebook or Twitter pages. Thanks for listening.